0: Today's podcast is sponsored by True TrueNiogen helps fuel the cell's energy engines, maintains cellular metabolism, and even supports a healthy heart in combination with a healthy lifestyle. And now you can save 20% on your first purchase at TrueNiogen.com slash Peter when you use the promo code Peter. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The podcast is also sponsored by Shopify. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving entrepreneurs like me the resources once reserved for only the biggest of businesses. To get a free 14-day trial and full access to Shopify's entire suite of features, just go to shopify.com gold. Well, after not even thinking about thinking about raising interest rates and then eventually thinking about it, And then finally talking about it, the Fed actually got around to doing it this week. And what do you know, the markets had a huge rally. Everybody was worried about rate hikes and how they might impact the market. And the reality is they're not worried nearly enough because they are going to damage the markets in a much bigger way than investors think. But at least this week, investors took an opportunity to buy on the fact after having sold the rumor, and we ended up with a big up week in stocks. In fact, the Dow Jones was up 5.5% this week. The index is now 7.8% above the low that it hit a little over three weeks ago. But the Dow is still down about 6% from its highs, which considering how much has happened, to me, is a pretty good accomplishment as far as the Dow not being down. Now, that doesn't mean it's a good thing because I think the Dow should be down given what's going on, and I think it will go down. It's just going down more slowly, and we now have had this bounce in reaction to the event of the Fed finally hiking rates, but I don't think the markets are just headed for new highs. The S&P had an even stronger week, up 6.2%. It's now 8.5% above its low from about three weeks ago, but still down about 7.4% from its record high. Russell 2000 also up 5.4% on the week, but that index has now risen by a full 10% from its high out of bear market territory, but it's still down 15%. From its record high, so still in correction territory. The biggest gain, though, was for the Nasdaq. That index soared 8.4% on the week, and it's now 10.5% above its high, which incidentally, it set earlier in the week. So unlike the S&P and the Dow that had made their lows a few weeks ago, the Nasdaq made its low this week, yet still managed to finish the week up 8.4%. Now, it's still down 14% from its record high, but it's no longer in bear market territory when it was down about 22%. But again, this bear market is not over. I'm convinced the NASDAQ is headed for new lows. In fact, the strongest part of the NASDAQ were the most speculative stocks. Again, look at the Cathie Wood ARK Innovation ETF. That ETF surged by 18.3% on the week, but it's up 27% from its low, which it hit intra-week. So just before the Fed hiked rates on Wednesday, the ARK ETF hit its low, and it's up 27% in three days. Now, despite that huge rise, the ETF is still down by 59% from its record high. Now, when it was on the lows, it was only down about what, 65%. So it doesn't seem to make that big a difference how far you are from the highs once you've fallen that much, despite the fact that we had this near 30% rally. But this is how bear markets operate. You get these huge trend moves, You get these short covering rallies, this, oh, my God, the bottom is in, the FOMO and the fear of missing out. You get this. This is what happens. This is how bear markets fall a slope of hope, is you get these rip-roaring rallies that engender a bunch of false hope. People who didn't sell are now glad they didn't panic and sell, and this rally has provided some type of relief. And so now they're going to be complacent. And the next thing you're going to know, they're going to be at new lows. Same type of situation with Bitcoin. Look at the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Again, highly correlated with the ARK Innovation ETF. It was up 12.5% on the week. That trust is now up 19.5% from its February low, but it's still down 51% from its record high and Bitcoin itself. Had a big week. In fact, as I'm recording this podcast here on Saturday morning, Bitcoin is trading just under 42000 per Bitcoin. Other markets, though, also had eventful weeks, but nothing like what we saw in the stock market. And by the way, it wasn't just U.S. stocks that had big weeks. Stocks in Europe in particular, but also in Asia. So the stocks that I own also enjoyed big up weeks this week. The dollar index was down on the week, so despite the Fed raising interest rates, which is something that is considered to be bullish for the dollar, the dollar went down. Now, again, the dollar had a big rally into the rate hike, so it makes sense that it would decline on the rate hike. Again, buy the rumor, sell the fact. Treasury bond yields, however, did not reverse. They were going up before the Fed hiked. And they continue to rise. Treasury bond yields are higher on the week. And they are going to continue to head higher. Turning to gold, though, gold closed Friday down about 20 bucks, So it had a weak close to the week. In fact, gold closed the week down $60 approximately from the previous week. But what is significant is that gold still closed $10 higher Then it closed the day before the Fed hiked rates on Tuesday. Plus, gold closed better than $20 an ounce higher than its Wednesday low that it hit following the Fed's rate hike. So at this moment, gold is still on track to have made its low on the day the Fed finally raised interest rates. And again, this would be very similar to what happened in December of 2015 when the Fed began that rate hiking cycle. It had been highly anticipated for many years. Everybody assumed gold would go down when the Fed started hiking. Well, gold went down before the Fed started hiking. And by the time it hiked, that marked the low and gold went up. And I'm thinking that the same thing may happen this time. The Fed was talking about raising rates for quite some time. The markets knew that rates would eventually go up. Everybody assumed that rising rates would be bagged for gold. And so the increase in rates was already priced in to gold. And now that the Fed is finally doing what it talked about doing and didn't even think about doing for so long, well, now the gold market can go up. We'll see. Obviously, it's too early to tell. It's possible that gold could go down and take out the low that it set on the Wednesday the Fed raised rates, in which case it wouldn't exactly parallel what happened in 2015, but it still might. We'll have to see how the markets progress over the next week or two, but I still think we have a good chance that gold has seen the lows and we're headed much higher. But even if it hasn't seen the lows, even if we have a little bit more work on the downside, even if there's some more weak hands that we need to shake out, regardless of that, gold is still going significantly higher from here. From head to toe, your body is made up of trillions of cells, which are all busy performing their specific functions to keep you healthy and resilient. But to keep up with all the work, a sufficient supply of an essential molecule called NAD plus must be maintained for cells to perform their optimal functions, which includes creating ATP for cellular energy, cellular repair, and supporting healthy mitochondria. Many common lifestyle factors that can decrease your cells NAD plus supply include alcohol consumption, excess sun exposure, a poor diet, and even environmental factors such as pollution. True Niagen is a supplement that helps fuel the cell's energy and can safely and effectively elevate your NAD plus levels, giving each one of your hardworking cells exactly what it needs to perform at its best. True Niagen addresses the non-visible signs of agent like cellular energy production and helps support heart and muscle health. And right now you can save 20% on your first purchase at trueniagen.com slash peter using the promo code peter that's trueniagen.com slash peter t-r-u-n-i-a-g-e-n dot com slash peter use the promo code peter to save 20 percent off on your first purchase these statements have not been evaluated by the food and drug administration this product is not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease and while i'm talking about rate hikes i want to clarify something because i've received some emails regarding this point And so I think it needs some clarification. So on one of my podcasts, I talked about the fact that it may be one and done, that the Fed may only raise rates one time and there may be no additional rate hikes that follow. On the other hand, I also talked about the fact that a lot of rate hikes are coming and that the market is not really coming to terms with just how many rate hikes are in the offing and how high interest rates might ultimately rise. And if they weren't cognizant of that and pricing those hikes into the market, the market would be a lot lower. So that seems like an inconsistent position to say it might be one and done, but then to talk about all the rate hikes that we're going to have. Here's what I mean. It will be one and done if the first rate hike results in enough damage to the markets and to the economy that the Fed never gets around to the second hike, because I believe that Powell is very worried about the impact that rate hikes might have on the economy and the markets. He may not be forthright about admitting that, but if you read between the lines and he doesn't make it that difficult when he talks about raising rates with care and being data dependent, And how it's not on autopilot. If we get a significant reaction between the first rate hike and the second rate hike, there may not be a second rate hike. Now, so far, the reaction has been positive. And if the market continues to rise between now and the next Fed meeting, and if there's no obvious negative effects in the overall economy, then, of course, the Fed is going to raise rates again. The Fed is going to raise rates as many times as it can without hurting the economy, without crashing the markets, which is why I'm saying that we may have many, many rate hikes in our future Because as long as we don't see a crash in the markets and a crash in the economy, the Fed is going to keep raising interest rates, which means inevitably we will get a crash because at some point the rate hikes are too many. You get that straw that breaks the camel's back because there is no way that any of these rate hikes is going to slow down inflation. So inflation is going to be here for a long time and it's going to keep getting worse. That means the Fed is going to be in a position where it's forced to continue to raise interest rates until something breaks in the market and the economy. So either way, you're going to lose in the stock market because if it doesn't crash now, it's going to crash later because it has to happen because a big drop in the market and the economy is the only thing that's going to stop the rate hikes. And so until that happens, the Fed's going to keep hiking, but when it happens, the Fed's going to stop hiking, but inflation is not going to go away. Inflation is going to keep getting worse. And then when it stops hiking, it could go from getting worse to getting much worse. We can kick in a whole new gear when it comes to more inflation, because once we start to really see the negative consequences in the economy and in the markets, I expect not only that the Fed will stop hiking rates, but it will start reducing rates. And if the Fed ever actually starts to shrink its balance sheet, it will reverse course and expand the balance sheet with a whole new QE program. In fact, if you look at what happened to the Fed's balance sheet in the most recent week, this is the week ended March 16th, the Fed's balance sheet expanded by another $43.6 billion. So it's now at a new all-time record high Of $8.954 trillion. So the Fed hiked rates on Wednesday, but during the very week that ended on that same Wednesday, the Fed printed another $43.6 billion and bought more US Treasury. So, in other words, the Fed is supposedly committed to fighting inflation and it's hiking rates by 25 basis points in its efforts to fight inflation. Yet during the same week that it's hiking rates, it's creating more inflation. It's printing more money. It's monetizing more government debt. Did it really have to do another $43.6 billion in QE on the very week that it's hiking rates? Couldn't they have just stopped? Couldn't they have done no quantitative easing? That last week, now, maybe that's the last hurrah. Maybe that's the last week we're going to see an increase in the Fed's balance sheet and it's all downhill from here. I don't think so. I want to watch these numbers very closely because I think the Fed is going to continue to expand the balance sheet, even as it's talking about launching an effort to decrease the balance sheet. I pointed out during my last podcast that the Fed tweaked the language in its official statement. And it no longer has a start date for when quantitative tightening is going to start. They've gone from forecasting an actual date when it was going to start and by giving us a timetable as to how much they were going to shrink, how many treasuries they would sell or how many mortgage-backed securities. All that is gone. All the Fed is committed to now is talking about a plan. To shrink the balance sheet meaning if they had a plan it's already been tossed out the window and now they have to develop a new plan well we'll see if they actually ever develop one and what actually happens between now and then because once you start to see a big impact on the economy of these rate hikes or on the markets the fed is going to react especially if you look at the bond market look at the yields on 10-year u.s treasuries 30-year U.S. Treasuries, look at those charts. There is a lot of room for rates to rise substantially from here. And clearly, much higher long-term interest rates, even if they're still low, when you're comparing to where they were and they're not nearly as low, again, it's like a drug addict Maybe you're still getting drugs, but if you are used to a lot of drugs and now you're not quite getting as much as your body is used to, you can still go through withdrawal even if you're still taking drugs because your body needs more.
2: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse?
1: The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. And the U.S. economy
0: is addicted to low interest rates. And even if interest rates are still low, they're not low enough to satisfy that addiction. And the economy is going to start to go into withdrawal. We're going to start to see the impact of rising interest rates on the economy, of rising bond yields on the economy, on the stock market. And as consumers are struggling with rising prices, and now they're going to be struggling with rising interest rates, And again, interest is a component of every business's cost structure. So as businesses are passing on higher raw material costs to their customers, they're now going to be passing on higher interest rates to their customers, in particular, landlords. A lot of landlords have mortgages on their buildings that they own. A lot of these mortgages are probably adjustable rate mortgages. They're going to get reset, and now the landlords, just like they have to pass on other rising costs to their tenants, well, now they have to pass on to their tenants rising interest rates on the mortgages that they themselves have on the buildings that they're renting out. So just because you're renting an apartment doesn't mean that rising interest rates don't affect you if your landlord has a mortgage, because anything that affects your landlord is going to affect you. Because the only way the landlord can get money to pay the mortgage is to get it from the tenant. So rents are going to have to go up. Of course, that may not be captured in the CPI because they don't use actual rents. They use owner's equivalent rent. But at some point, the people in these surveys are going to have some understanding of how much higher real rents actually are. And we're going to start to see this. But even if the CPI doesn't pick up the increase in rents, the economy is still going to suffer the consequences from the increase in rents because as consumers are having to spend more money on rent or more money on their own adjustable rate mortgages or other debt that they have that is now going to be impacted by rising interest rates as they have to spend more money on food, as they have to spend more money on energy. That means they have less money to spend on everything else. And when you have an economy that's built on discretionary spending, that's built on consumers just borrowing money and spending it, and now the cost of borrowing money has gone up and the discretionary spending capacity has gone down, because the necessities are now so much more expensive than they used to be, that can't happen in a vacuum. There is going to be a big consequence. And normally, the Federal Reserve would not be raising interest rates in an environment like this, where you have all this weakening economic data, where you have consumer confidence levels plunging, where you have all this geopolitical uncertainty and risk being introduced by a war In the Ukraine, there's no way the Fed would be raising interest rates. In fact, given everything that's going on, this is when the Fed would be cutting interest rates to come to the rescue. But instead of cutting interest rates, they're starting to raise them. And the only reason they're doing that is because of inflation. And that is the game changer. Because in the past, the justification for all the cheap money, the QE, 0% interest rates, everything the Fed did was justified based on uh, absence of inflation, based on the fact that inflation was below its 2% target. Even though 2% was not actually a target, it was a ceiling. The idea was just to make sure that inflation stayed below 2%, not that it was 2%, but the Fed, for its own convenience, so it can pursue its alternative agenda- convinced everybody that a ceiling was a target and it justified more inflationary policies because it hadn't hit the target. Well, now we've blown through the target we triple quadruple the target. So the Fed no longer has a false pretense by which to justify its inflationary policies. And so it is reluctantly trying to remove the accommodation. It is raising interest rates at a point in time where normally would be cutting them. Of course, you can't cut them when you're still at zero. And it's ending quantitative easing at a time where it would normally and normally meaning, you know, since the 2008 financial crisis, when we now have an new normal. But ever since that time period, whenever the markets or the economy was at a point that we're at now, the Fed would be going back for a new round of QE to try to stimulate it. So the Fed is now sedating an economy and a market that it would normally be stimulating. Yet nobody thinks that this is a big deal. Nobody sees the significance of how this game has changed. And that's because they never understood the game in the first place. Well, they're in for a rude awakening. Ka-ching! You gotta love that sound. It's the sound of another sale being made on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. So supercharge your knowledge, your sales, and your success. For a free 14-day trial, go to shopify.com slash gold, all lowercase. Shopify is designed to enable anyone to sell anywhere, giving you the resources once reserved for just big business. And it's customized for you with a great looking online store that brings your ideas to life and gives you the tools to manage and drive your sales. And I love how easy Shopify makes it for just about anyone to succeed running a small business. Shopify powers millions of entrepreneurs from their first sale to full scale. And every 28 seconds, another small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. Get started by building and customizing your online store with no coding or design experience. Access powerful tools to help find customers, drive sales, and manage your day-to-day. Gain knowledge and confidence with the resources that you need to succeed. Plus, with 24-7 support, you're never alone. It's more than just a store, Shopify grows with you. These are the possibilities, and they're powered by Shopify. So go to shopify.com gold, all lowercase, to get a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Start selling at Shopify today. Go to shopify.com gold. I want to wrap up today's podcast by finally getting to the elephant in the room. And that is the world's reaction to my Zelinsky t-shirt tweet from Wednesday. And I'm more focused on the reaction than the tweet itself because I think it is an overreaction to say the least. Maybe the biggest mountain ever made out of a molehill on full display when it comes to this particular tweet, which ended up being the most replied to tweet on Twitter for that day. There are hundreds of millions of tweets every day, and this one had more comments than any other tweet. Now, I did get a few likes, about 8,000 likes, but in relation to over 100,000 comments, That's a 12 to 1 ratio. Basically, the comments are the equivalent of thumbs down because there's no way to dislike a tweet. So the only way you can express the fact that you don't like the tweet is to comment on the tweet and say you don't like it. If you like it, you don't have to put a positive comment. You could just click like. And so obviously, this is a huge ratio of dislikes to likes on a tweet with better than 45 million impressions. That is a lot of impressions, especially for somebody who only has about 670,000 followers. I mean, I got more views on that tweet and more comments than what you might get from an Elon Musk tweet where he's got 70 million followers. In fact, that particular tweet got far more engagement than the Elon Musk tweet where he challenged Vladimir Putin to -to hand-to-hand combat. That's how big firestorm the tweet generated and had I known in advance when I tweeted this that it would result in this huge firestorm I would not have done it so obviously I do regret the tweet but I haven't taken it down and I will get to the reasons why I didn't take it down later first I kind of want to get into the tweet itself and my rationale for having composed that tweet and why it doesn't make me into the monster that the world now perceives me to be, because I'm probably one of the most hated men on the planet right now. In fact, I may be number two. Just after Vladimir Putin himself, I could be number two on everybody's list of most hated people. At least not everybody, but the 45 million people or so, less the 8,000 who liked it, who happened to see this tweet, or not just the tweet itself, but all of the news stories that were written about the tweet or all of the broadcasts where television journalists talked about the tweet. I mean, if you go and Google my name, you'll see page after page after page of articles about how horrible I am. And of course, most of these stories are left-wing publications because they all start out by branding me a Republican. Republican Peter Schiff, former Republican candidate for U.S. Senate, Peter Schiff. So they make a big deal about the fact that I'm a Republican. So clearly they want to equate Republicans with being bad. That's why they're calling me a Republican. And in fact, I remember one of the articles I read specifically mentioned that I donated to Ron Paul because that must make me an especially bad Republican if I can be A Ron Paul Republican, because that means I want even less government than typical Republicans. So that makes me even worse in the minds of these big government liberals who are writing all of these articles about me. But anyway, let me get into the tweet. So I am watching live on television Zelensky's speech, and before he comes to the camera, I'm listening to the way they're describing this historic event. This is the first time a world leader has ever addressed a joint session of Congress remotely. And it's even rare that people have joint sessions of Congress. When you have both houses convened for a joint session, it's a big deal. And so they're talking about and they're building up this huge event, this big deal. We're about to see the president of the Ukraine. He's going to address Congress. And so I'm watching, I'm getting ready for it. And then all of a sudden there he is and he's wearing a short sleeve t-shirt. And the first thing I'm thinking is why couldn't he put it on something nicer than that t-shirt? He's addressing Congress. This is a big deal. I would have thought maybe he would have taken a few minutes to put on something nicer than that t-shirt. I mean, I understand he's been wearing that t-shirt a lot ever since the invasion. That's kind of like how he's been dressing, which is fine. But I just thought for this occasion, for the half hour or so that he was speaking before a joint session of Congress, that maybe he can put on something a little nicer. So I decided to tweet about it in real time, right? I'm watching his speech. So this is right at the beginning. And I tweeted out, Hey, doesn't the president of the Ukraine own a suit? Couldn't he have worn something nicer just out of respect for Congress and his own people? He's representing the Ukrainian people before the U S Congress that is an occasion that I think called for something a little bit nicer than a T-shirt. Now, I understood, yes, it's a war, times are tough, but I didn't think it was such a dire life and death situation at the moment that he couldn't have worn something nicer than a T-shirt. I mean, I wear T-shirts all day myself. In fact, I'm wearing a T-shirt right now when I am recording this podcast because nobody can see me. But when I have a video interview that I need to do, in many cases, depending on the forum, I put on a jacket and tie because I am dressing for the occasion. On two occasions, I happened to testify before Congress. And both times, I wore a suit and tie. In fact, everybody else who was testifying wore a suit and tie. Why did I wear that suit and tie? Because I thought it was an appropriate dress for the occasion. And by wearing that suit and tie, I want to show some respect for Congress, not the individual congressmen and women. I have no respect for them. And in fact, if you watch any of the YouTube videos of my two congressional testimonies, it's clear, by the way, I talk to these guys that I don't respect them. But I respect the institution. I respect the country. And it was out of that respect that I wore a suit and tie. So my initial thinking was he should have dressed a little better, and so I tweeted it out. And, you know, there are a lot of people, too, that were criticizing me for the fact that I didn't talk about what he had to say. I just focused on what he was wearing, and that's because I tweeted it out before I had really heard anything that he had to say. But the interesting thing is I didn't criticize a word of his speech. I didn't say anything bad about Zelensky, about what he said, about what he was doing. I just questioned his choice to wear that T-shirt. And it was a choice, and this is the most incredible aspect of it, and this is one of the reasons that I left a tweet up there, because even on reflection, thinking about, hey, maybe I should have just not said anything about his choice of wardrobe. Given the circumstances, given the gravity of everything that was going on, I was kind of making light of it by focusing on his t-shirt. Now, I'm just tweeting, so I don't think that's a big deal, right? I mean, it's like I'm just watching it and I'm just expressing a thought that I had in real time. I'm sure that other people, though they won't admit it, might have been thinking the same thing. They may have expected him to put on something a little nicer than that t-shirt for this historic important speech that he was giving. But sure, with the benefit of hindsight and a little reflection, it really didn't matter. And so I didn't have to send out that tweet, but... What's far more important than the tweet and whether or not I shouldn't have sent it or whether or not it was a mistake is the reaction that it sparked because that's the mistake. That's where you go from a mistake to being complete insanity. So the main reaction on Twitter and why everybody thinks I'm such a horrible person is because they're saying, Peter, don't you have any sympathy for this guy? He is in a war zone. He is in a battle. He's fighting for his life. He's trying to survive. He doesn't have access to a suit. There's no way he could put on a suit. There's no dry cleaners left in the Ukraine. There's no place to get the suit pressed. It's been bombed. Even if he had any suits, they've probably been destroyed. He's in the middle of a battle. How do you expect him to put on a suit? This is what people are texting. Now, probably most of these people didn't even see the speech, right? They have no idea the circumstances under which it was delivered. Somehow in their mind, he's out on a battlefield somewhere. He's like Rambo killing Ruskies barehanded, and he's in this foxhole, and he just happened to crawl out of the foxhole, risking his life. Bullets are flying overhead. Mortar shells are going off, and he wants to address Congress. And here I am criticizing the guy because he didn't have a suit and tie with him in that foxhole to slip into, which clearly is not the case because he was not on a battlefield. Yes, his country is at war. I get that. But during the time of this speech, he was indoors in some building. He was behind a desk. He had professional lighting shining on him. He certainly took a lot of time to make sure he looked good, I believe he had makeup on. I mean, not makeup like a woman is going to wear, you know, eyeshadow and lipstick, but powder, right? Every time I've gone on Fox or CNN or one of these stations, you sit down and they put all this powder on your face so that you look good on camera. Your complexion looks good. You're not reflecting the light. And based on his complexion and the way he looked, I would say that he had that powder on at a minimum applied to him before he went on camera. In addition, his hair is very meticulously combed. He doesn't have a single strand out of place. I mean, probably has some hairspray on just to make sure there's no flyaways for the camera. He is definitely clean shaven, so he had time to shave. In fact, his beard looks like it had just been trimmed. In fact, his beard always looks like he's trimming it. Every single day, he is keeping himself well-groomed. So if he had time to do all this stuff, he certainly could have slipped on a long sleeve shirt, you know, with a collar.
2: In fact,
0: one of the tweets that I got in response to my tweet, I basically said that. I said, you know, he didn't have to wear a suit. I mean, a suit is just something that I threw out there. But what initially kind of stood out to me as being inappropriate, it wasn't that he wasn't wearing a suit. It's just that he was only wearing a T-shirt. And I said, you know, maybe he could have put on a long sleeve collared shirt and that would have been okay. And in fact... That is exactly what he did the following day. On Thursday, he gave a similar speech in front of the German parliament, and that's exactly what he did over his T-shirt. And you can see the T-shirt because he didn't button the top button of his button-down shirt, but he did wear a long-sleeve shirt, buttoned down with a collar, and he looked a lot better. In fact, had he worn that shirt The day prior in front of the U.S. Congress, I'm sure I never would have tweeted because, again, it was the T-shirt more than anything that stood out than the fact that he wasn't wearing a suit. But in my tweet, the initial one, I mentioned the suit. But, you know, when I talked about the fact that he had time to shave and trim his beard and do his hair, you know, and if he had all that time, he could have slipped on something less informal than a T-shirt one of the responses i got which actually kind of made me laugh the guy said to me peter how do you expect him to lug around a suit on a battlefield think about it the guy said a razor some shaving cream some hair gel you can easily fit those things into a mess kit so when he's on the run in battle he can carry around these items in his mess kit And so, yes, sure, he can shave and he can do his hair, but he can't also lug around a suit in battle, right? Again, like he's actually on a battlefield fighting all the time. He's not. I understand he's a wartime president, and I get that. And most of the time as a wartime president, he's adopted that T-shirt. That's what he's wearing. Times are tough. He's fighting hard. He's a man of the people. And that's the image he's displaying. But that's also the image that he chose to display during that speech to Congress, because my point is it was a choice. It wasn't the circumstances where he had no choice. All the people on Twitter who are vilifying me, they're doing it because they're claiming that I have no sympathy for this man or his circumstances, and I don't understand that even if he wanted to wear a suit, It was impossible given the circumstances of war when, of course, it was totally possible. He could have worn anything he wanted. He had all these resources at his disposal. The idea that he couldn't wear a suit because he couldn't have one pressed. I've never had one of my suits pressed. My suits are hanging in my closet. I wear them and wear them and wear them. I don't get them pressed. It's not like he needed to press the suit even if he had the suit. And in fact, if he had worn a suit and for some reason... I was able to tell that there was a wrinkle in that suit and that he hadn't had it pressed. Obviously, I could have overlooked that. I mean, gee, the guy took the time to put on a suit. I'm not going to argue that, oh, it's a little wrinkled. Okay, I understand, you know, he's in the middle of a war. He didn't have time to get it pressed. But to say that it's impossible to get it pressed because all the dry cleaners have been bombed, I mean, yes, I understand that the Ukraine is being bombed. I'm very sympathetic about that and about the loss of life. But it's not Dresden in World War II. The place hasn't been leveled. The vast majority of Ukrainian buildings are still intact, including the laundries and the dry cleaners. But he probably wouldn't have needed those. It would have been very simple to wear something nicer than a T-shirt again, which is exactly what he did the very next day. But even when I replied to that tweet by saying he could have worn a long sleeve collared shirt I got hammered on that reply, even though that's exactly what he did the next day. Now, I'm not claiming that he dressed nicer because of my tweet, although I do think that Zelensky should thank me for that tweet. And the reason is because I think I really helped his cause. I mean, 45 million people saw the tweet and a lot more people read the news stories about the tweet, watched it on television. And as a result of everybody attacking me, they were defending Zelensky. I mean, Zelensky is a lot more sympathetic now. He certainly looks a lot more heroic now. The way he's been portrayed, right or wrong, I have helped his image. And obviously, the t-shirt worked. I mean, in that respect, I'm willing to admit that potentially I was wrong in my criticism of his wardrobe because obviously it worked out. Because his image, decision was, I want to portray this image of a guy who's really fighting hard because he was asking for help. He was asking for money and he thought that it would be better if I asked for it wearing a t-shirt, but he didn't want to ask for it with messy hair or an untrimmed beard or without a clean shave. So he did all those things. He had time to do all that stuff and he just chose to do it wearing a t-shirt. And I criticized that choice or questioned it. And maybe I was wrong. Maybe he made a better choice. And I think that my pointing this out actually helped that because now he got such a huge reaction in support of his choice of a T-shirt that he probably is very happy that he didn't wear something nicer because had he worn even that long sleeve collared shirt, I never would have tweeted about it. And so he wouldn't have got all this additional favorable press. But I want to talk now not so much about the tweet itself, but the reaction, because this really typifies the problem we have right now with this groupthink, with this mob mentality, the cancel culture, the political correctness, and the virtue signaling. If you look at the tweet on its own, it's not a horrible tweet. It doesn't mean that I'm a horrible person for having had that thought. But once the mob decided how awful and terrible it was, it became a litmus test of your own character, of whether you in fact were a good person or a horrible person like me. And so in order to prove how good you were, you had to join that bandwagon and express your hatred for me. And so everybody on Twitter who wanted to virtue signal how good they were, they had to feign how outraged they were by what I said. And the more outraged they were, why, the better a person they were. And the more hateful things they could say about me, well, that meant that they were that much better themselves. I mean, forget about the whole idea of, hey, turn the other cheek, or, hey, cut the guy a break. I mean, he just said something off the cuff, and maybe he hadn't really thought it out. I mean, a lot of times you say something— And then later on, maybe you regret what you said, but you just say something. I have a tendency to speak my mind. That's just how I am. I tell people the truth and, you know, I don't pull my punches. And so sometimes you get in trouble if you tell people exactly what you're thinking at the time you're thinking it. But no, there's no slack at all. There's no second chances. It's like, oh my God, this guy is a horrible, terrible person. Let's forget about everything else he may have said or done. Look what he said. But- in the context of all of the horrible things that I potentially could have tweeted about Zelensky, and not that I'm saying I was thinking them, but there are a lot of insults that you can make, and there are a lot of them that go around on Twitter, this is probably the least offensive thing you could say. Hey, I don't think you should have worn a T-shirt, yet you would think that it was the most offensive thing anybody has ever said based on the response that I got. You know, to me... It's kind of like the emperor and the new clothes where everybody is afraid to admit that the emperor is naked because, you know, if you don't see the clothes, well, then you're not intelligent enough to see them. Well, the same thing on this tweet, every liberal, and I think it's mostly liberals, although not 100 percent, but everybody who's seeing this tweet, if they don't get outraged by it, well, then they're not caring enough. They're not good enough. And so they have to express they're But if you look at what they're saying or read what they're saying, you won't believe some of the responses that I'm getting by supposedly good, caring people that want to kick the crap out of me. And a lot of them don't just want to kick the crap out of me. They actually want me dead. I mean, some of them want to kill me themselves. Other people are hoping that I'll just do it myself and commit suicide. But it's not just wishes for death that I'm getting on Twitter. A lot of people went out of their way to find my business email address and email me. I got all sorts of hate mail at Europe Pacific Capital, even more hate mail at Shift Radio. I mean, the inbox was inundated by people telling me to go F myself and all sorts of curse words and ways that I should die and, you know, suggestions of maybe how I could die and, and all sorts of stuff. And a lot of this, you know, would be considered illegal. I mean, people actually threatening to kill me. Some of these could pretty much go to the police. But I think a lot of people didn't just want to email me. They wanted it out in public because they wanted to virtue signal to everybody else how good they were by expressing their outrage to me and how they personally would want to kill me. But again, if you really are a good person, you would have some tolerance for a difference of opinion. And if you think somebody said something inappropriate, well, you would tell them that in an appropriate manner yourself, because the minute you are even more inappropriate than the tweet that you're criticizing, it makes you a hypocrite, which is exactly what everybody is who is blasting me for this tweet. Now, there are some people, if you read them, there are some respectful criticisms of my tweet, and that's fine. I got no problem with people who wanna criticize me for the right reason, but if you're gonna criticize me because you're claiming that I don't have any regard for the circumstances that he was in, that it was during a war, and therefore he had no access to a suit or he had no access to something nicer than a T-shirt, that I'm not going to accept because he clearly did it. All I questioned was his choice. And again, given the scheme of things and the gravity of the situation, maybe I should have just cut him some slack on that choice and just said nothing about it, but it was a choice. And if you can't criticize a politician, if you can't criticize a president, then who can you criticize? I mean, that's what free speech is really all about. It's about people being able to be critical of government. In fact, it's interesting. A lot of people on Twitter tried to have my tweet banned and they wanted Twitter to take it down because they claimed it was hate speech. And the only reason I know for sure is because somebody in Germany, tried to have the tweet removed as hate speech. And Twitter notified me, I guess, per German law, that this was going on and that they had reviewed the tweet and decided that it didn't violate their rules and so they weren't going to take it down. Now, I'm assuming that a lot more people in the U.S. requested that Twitter remove the tweet, but there's no law requiring Twitter to let me know. And so I didn't know about those. But clearly there's nothing hateful in my tweet. You could say that my tweet was wrong. I mean, you could even say it was in bad taste. I mean, that's fine, that's totally legit. But if you wanna talk about hate speech, it's the responses. Everybody, almost everybody who responded expressed extreme hate for me, yet I didn't ask that any of those hateful replies be eliminated from Twitter because I don't care. If people want to hate me, they have the right to hate me. If they want to express their hatred on Twitter, that's fine. Now, the death threats encouraging people to kill me, no, because if something does happen to me as a result of that tweet, that's wrong. I don't mind people being critical of what I have to say. It's a free country, at least it used to be, and there's some remnants of freedom left. So people can go out and criticize me, but they can't harm me because I say something they don't like, which this really is the bottom line on this whole thing. This mob mentality of me tooing of everybody having to pile on this bandwagon. And as a litmus test for how good they are, that's how much they have to hate me. When you look at this hatred, I've always talked about how liberals preach tolerance. They want everybody to be tolerant yet. They are the most intolerant people out there. Well, People want me to tolerate Zelensky's wearing a T-shirt. Okay, fine. I'm willing to tolerate that. But how come the people who want me to tolerate a choice that Zelensky made, they can't tolerate me? They can't tolerate the fact that I tweeted that in that moment, I was surprised that he wore a T-shirt. And even after I tried to justify my tweet to the mob that just made them angrier that just got them to criticize me even more and one of the reasons that I didn't take the tweet down is they probably would have jumped all over that as if I had somehow now admitted that their response was correct their response was not correct I could admit that maybe my tweet was wrong too but their responses were even more wrong and had I removed my tweet I would have been acknowledging and legitimizing the way they responded to it, the way the mob responded to my tweet, and I didn't want to do that. So I had to leave the tweet up for that reason alone, not to give in to the pressure of the mob to try to get me to change my thinking due to the pressure that they were trying to put on me. And, of course, a lot of people are trying to pressure me in other ways. They want to go to my employers. They want to go to my advertisers they want to get me fired they want to get me deplatformed like all sorts of people want to go out of their way to silence me but i don't want to do that to anybody people tweet stuff all the time that i think is outrageous that i disagree with but i don't interfere with their right to tweet whatever they want i don't want to go out and get them fired from their jobs or deplatformed just because they said something that i disagree with but in this case not only was what i said much ado about nothing, I just criticized the t-shirt, but there is no proportionality to what they want. The fact that people want me dead as a result of this tweet. I remember one guy in particular tweeted that, well, I don't really want him dead, but I just think he should be stripped of all his worldly possessions. Yeah. So everything I own should be confiscated from me. And so you're a good person. You're criticizing me for this tweet Yet you want the government to confiscate everything I own. That makes you good. That makes you better than me just because maybe I inappropriately thought that he should have worn something nicer than a t-shirt and expressed it. But now you're saying that everything I own should be confiscated because I made that remark. Who's the bad person? Somebody who wants to dispense with the rule of law and just take everything I have Or me, who just was surprised that he didn't put on something nicer. Because if it were me, and I get the image he's trying to portray, if I were in Zelensky's shoes, giving that speech, I would have at least put on that long-sleeved collared shirt that he put on when he addressed the German parliament the following day. Or probably me, I would have grabbed the jacket and tie. If I didn't have one, I would have borrowed one. I would have tried to look a little better just during that moment. And I would have expected the members of Congress to know that most of the time, I'm not wearing that jacket and tie. Most of the time, I am in my short-sleeved shirt. I am fighting this war. But given the circumstances of the occasion of this honor that I had that has never basically been offered to anybody else, this is the first time that any head of state, or in fact, anybody has ever remotely addressed a joint session of Congress that I would have just done a little bit more and taken the extra minute or two to just put on something nicer, if not a suit for the occasion. And of course, had he done that, nobody would have said anything about it, but he didn't. He wore a t-shirt. I said a little bit about it. That's it. And look at the uproar that it inspires. But this is the problem. We have to be a far more tolerant society. We can't be a mob. This is... The type of thing that you had, let's say in Salem with burning of witches, you have this kind of mentality and it never leads to a positive end. So the people who were taking me to task on Twitter need to rethink this and need to think, what kind of society do you want to live in? Because if you condone what's happened to me, well, then one day it may happen in a far worse way than a bunch of negative replies on Twitter Hate emails and hate voicemails.